Blog Talk Radio. This, this is all about all about the talk show in the wine industry since 2009, featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert Ron. Ron. Basically, what we're trying to do in this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some big people on the program. I, I just, I love that. I Post love your that. questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash all about wine That's www.facebook.com forward slash all about wine and now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. Ron. Oh, there you go. I to do the, uh, the exit on, on that one. Still shows uh, Twitch and all those other feeds that we don't really, we're not really on anymore. So, oh. I'll change that. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway. That could be a drinking game. How many times do we say all about wine during the show? Yeah. Right. Starting there. Take <laughs> <laughs> a drink every time you say all about wine. All go. about wine. Or so we can just get people to drink. You just start to go all about wine, all about wine, all about wine, all about wine, all about wine. It's a wine. Yeah. There you go. Every time you hear the word wine, you got to take a drink. Yeah. You know? um, oh. Another one. Yeah. It's. Uh, March 31st, the last day of uh, April. I'm sorry, the last day of March. And uh, welcome to All About All About Wine. All about uh, wine. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah, we, you know, hmm. tomorrow's April Fool's Day. Since we're not going to be on tomorrow, we can always do it early. But no, people will get confused. Yeah. What are they talking yes. about? You know? So. Um, <laughs> Welcome to All About Wine. Like Mike just said, it is the last show of March 2022. Oh, my gosh. Uh, hmm. It's the flying passes. Yeah. I, uh, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. So, so, if you want to ask us any questions, want to talk to us, do anything along that line, then message us and we will see the message and mm-hmm. we will address it. Mm-hmm. Not address, but address. Um, and uh, let's see. Oh my gosh. I'm uh, I'm sorry. I'm sitting there looking at different <laughs> things to talk about to you guys and just I'm uh, I was even late with Mike getting on with him before the show because I was looking at different stuff and got myself lost in things. And so, uh, very easy to do. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. And I'm getting lost and stuff again here. I got this site that I just, there's, this is off of Pinterest. This is thing on Pinterest. Pinterest. I don't know if y'all are familiar with Pinterest. It's, it's out there. Everybody should be familiar with it. But Pinterest is best if you get into the little 
small topics that they have all over the place. I mean, you know, they've got general topics and general things, but then they've got their own small topics. And you can go into wine and champagne and glasses and bottles and all sorts of stuff. And they just list stuff and have pictures and all sorts of cool things. Like this one I'm looking at right now, it is expensive champagne. And uh, it's it's pretty cool. It talks about the 10 most expensive champagne bottles on the planet. I would suppose they would mean Earth. They don't really say. But uh, the 10 most expensive champagne bottles on the planet. And it's it's a pretty cool uh, pretty cool site. It talks about a lot or shows pictures of a lot of stuff and uh, all that. So. Yeah, Pinterest. Not not that I get any residuals from Pinterest or anything like that, but you can really see some cool pictures and cool stuff. There's a this is I, I don't know, is this champagne or is this no oh, brandy. Violin brandy. And it is um uh, looks like it's excuse me, it looks like it's Korean. Or, I don't know, I can't, excuse me, uh, scratchy throat has been for, a couple, well, has been for a couple of weeks now. Um, but it's really cool. The shape of the bottle is shaped like a violin with the cork area. The top of it's got the, the uh, neck of uh, a violin or viola. And it's got a bow that comes with it. It looks like a glass bow, bow that comes with it. Pretty cool. So, uh, but Pinterest has got a whole bunch of stuff. Here's a, a another one. This is a uh, uh, looks like a um, saxophone with uh, the top shaped like a saxophone. It's got the the bell on at the bottom and all that. Some really cool stuff. So these are things you say, oh, that's cool, but you, you're never going to get Here's one that's like a machine gun, like the old uh, Roaring Twenties machine gun, and uh, just all sorts of different exotic bottles that you normally don't see setting up on their liquor shelf. I don't know if you can, you know, this stuff is all... I don't know. So, but you can check it out. You can look at it. You can check it out and uh, see. Uh, again, it is Pinterest, and just go to things like uh, champagne, uh, expensive champagne. This is under expensive champagne, but you can go under expensive wine or anything else, and you can find all sorts of really pretty cool stuff in Pinterest. Uh, you can also find a lot of pretty boring stuff or pretty stupid stuff. And so, but it, uh, on some of those things. Okay. Uh, what was something? Oh, Tassel Ridge. Here we go. Tassel Ridge Winery in Iowa. Enchiladas and Iowa St. Croix Rosé. Spicy Spring Meal. Um, Castle Ridge is, is uh, I think they're accepting people for wine tastings now. 
Yeah, there are seated wine tastings are available at the winery by reservation only. And wearing a mask in the winery is optional. So if you want to just go and check it out, then you can wear a mask if you're so inclined, but not a requirement. And they do ship directly to certain states, uh, Iowa, Arizona, California, Colorado, Florida, Minnesota, Missouri, Texas, and Washington, D.C. Those are the only ones that they ship to. So uh, if you want to check out their website, it is under TasselRidgeWinery.com. Is that right? Yeah, TasselRidgeWinery.com. And you can uh, check out their website. Not a lot of neat stuff coming up events. They Every... Every month they do the wine and wood-fired oven pizza night. Uh, I, I shouldn't say every month. They do that throughout the month. And that's by reservation. Plus they got a lot of neat wines and a lot of neat stuff going on. And It's a uh, cool winery. I've been there and it really is uh, well kept up. They got in front of the building... I guess they're still alive and still going. They've got all sorts of different grapevines and it named to show you what they are and uh, all that, just different vines. And the uh, vineyard is right there in front of the winery and around the winery. They are located in Iowa, southeast Iowa. So uh, you can always get a hold of them at Tassel Ridge winery.com or give them a no, I, I'm not going to say give them a call because I was going to give you a number and it's not here. Uh, they're open seven days a week year-round. So if you are up in that area uh, or if you're in one of those states I mentioned, you can have, have it shipped to you. Otherwise, sorry. Uh, info at TasselRidge.com. Uh, it says here, this is what the address for the this email is so you can check that out. Info at Tassel Ridge, T A S S E L R I D G E dot com. And I had another winery here that I was going to mention. And let's see if I can find it. Oh, crap. Um, I have not been keeping up with my emails and my computer because I have been volunteering to be a ranger uh, at a golf course, a local golf course, and uh, I had to go through training, you know, which is sort of like boring, but I got to go through training before they let me out there by myself because it's really hard to be a, like a, a starter because you got to write down the number of each cart that passes by you. And that took me five hours to learn how to do that. And then it took me another uh, another day to learn how to jump on the golf cart and drive around the golf course. And Yeah, yeah I am being facetious, but uh, I have been doing that. And so I've gotten behind on this. And what is that? Why is it under another one here? Uh well, I don't know. I can't find it, so I'm not going to sit there and search for it while you're going. All right, Ron, let's talk about something in wine. 
Okay. Uh, Let me get into something here that is other than me just rattling on about stuff. Uh, uh, wineries are fighting over name rights. I thought this was interesting. Uh, you, there is a lot of naming in wines. The hardest part about starting a winery is one is, is like choosing a name. And not just choosing a name for the wine itself, but also for the wines that you're doing and stuff like that. Uh, and it's it's tough because you can't think of a name that sounds like another one, another winery, because if you do, you're going to be in court fighting the battle of name infringement and trademark lawsuits and all that stuff. Uh, it seems like all the time. You're seeing something in the wine business that one winery is taking legal actions against another one for uh, infringement, our our so-called infringement, because sometimes the court looks at it and goes, oh, come on now, and throws it out. But uh, the uh, small fries, ones that usually get sued by the big ones, and sometimes the small fries fight against each other, uh, so, the, the, the good example here, Paso Ropos has a winery called Hawks Hill, and they are suing a winery in Sonoma County, uh, a vineyard, actually, that's called Hawk Hill. Yeah, well, you could get them confused. That's just one example there. Uh, last year, Jackson Family Wines filed a lawsuit claiming that Gallo's cask and cream wine label was an imitation of Jackson's popular La Crema. I can sure people can get those confused. And that's usually what most of it boils down to, is that, you know, you're playing off of another name, and so therefore it can confuse the brand that's been out there for a while and pick up the wrong one. Yeah, the people are going to confuse... <laughs> cask and cream with La Crema. Uh, also, there is uh, producers of Chardonnay called Butter, which sued Franzia over a Chardonnay that came out, which was called Rich and Buttery. You know, it gets a little bit ridiculous, but it keeps the lawyers busy and it gives them money. Uh, the judge that presided over the case, uh, appeared not to grasp how commonly Chardonnay is associated with butteriness. And so, uh, you know, it actually went to court and uh, the <laughs> the producer, which was J.A.M. J. Sellers, uh, actually won the case on that. Trademarks are and brand names are big, big thing in the wine business. And not only just with the wine the the winery name itself, but also with labels of wines. Uh, they're trying to all the time stop wineries from infringing on their name. You know that will confuse people. That 
it's this is my name. You shouldn't use that. And this happens a lot. Even when uh, I had the winery open, I got a cease and desist letter from a winery in Virginia. Yes, uh, from a winery in Virginia that told me, well, the lawyer told me, I need to cease and desist using the name Plantation Blush and all the plantations, Plantation White, Plantation Red, Plantation Blush, and Plantation Spice, which were you know, my basic basic wines. And they said, I can no longer use, particularly Plantation Blush. This was the the base of the litter, but then they went on from there and saying, you know, don't use any of the plantations. I'm going, what? Yeah. And they said they have uh, they have the name registered, and I, I picked it up after them, and so therefore I need to quit using it. Well, I checked their date, and they registered theirs in 2005. And we were using it starting in 2001. That's when the winery opened. And so I sent them a very quick letter, not mean, cruel, or anything, saying we have been using it since 2001. It's registered in the state. And so, therefore, we are not selling our wines in Virginia directly, so there should be no conflict. That was it. That was the end. I never heard another word from them. I never heard anything from anybody after that. I thought I was going to have to get our lawyer to send them a letter saying the same thing I did, but my letter was sufficient to have them back off. And the thing is, in the business, you get a lot of that, but sometimes it goes to court because they want to pursue it. And what really happens is the small wineries start looking at, well, maybe we can start selling this in that state. And they go, "Uh uh-oh, like, you know, Plantation uh, Red or Plantation Rosé is already being sold in Florida, and Virginia Winery wants to sell theirs in Florida, and they're going to, well, that's going to confuse people, which, yeah, people aren't that stupid. Let's, let's face it. Now, they're going to know the difference. But this is what they do, and they start getting lawyers wrapped up in it, and it gets to be expensive and ridiculous. Okay, so uh, sometimes the disputes are really legitimately thorny. Okay, here's here's stakeholders have been battling over the right to name uh, to the name to Callan Vineyard. It's a historic site in Oakville. That's right just south end of Napa. Considered to produce some of Napa's finest wines. Uh, there's all sorts of legal confrontations having involved considerations of which parcels were part of the original vineyard planning. This goes way back to the 19th century and the precise degree of the vineyard's fame. Okay, now that's where it becomes sticky. Some have argued that two Kallen, that's T-O-K-A-L-O-N, two Kallen is more like a place than like a brand name. 
and that it shouldn't be trademarked any more than something like Yosemite National Park. But the latest court decision sided with Tucallan as a brand concept when the federal judge upheld the trademark that Constellation Brands, which is the big one, and they also own Robert Mondavi Winery, and that's another big one, holds the trademark for Tucallan. Mandavi says, you know, this is these grapes are from Two Callan Vineyard, and, and you know, Oakville is a, a very prestigious area, and you know, the vineyards out of that area and all that uh, do demand a little bit more money. So, these are things that that happen out there. It's uh, and it's up to the judge. And most of the time, these things very seldom are they actually. Uh, challenged again once the ruling comes down and the cost that is involved with it has gotten out of hand, they stop. Oh, my engineer just brought me in tonight's bottle of wine. Matchbook, a state bottled Verdot. Oh, haven't had a petite Verdot in many, many years. Oh, my gosh. It says... Uh, contains sulfate, 13.9% alcohol by vine. That's pretty pretty high, actually. Uh, product of the United States, uh, and then the government warning, and <laughs> they have the barcode, and on top of the barcode, it's like flames coming up, which makes it a pretty cool-looking barcode. Uh, Dunnigan, D-U-N-N-I-G-A-N, Dunnigan Hills? Dunnigan Hills, 2019. It says, family-owned, estate-grown. The Gorgir family crafts single-site wines from the brewing Dunnigan Hills, or Dunnigan, I guess Dunnigan, grown on red, rocky soils. Our petite Verdot ripens late in the season, resulting in an opulent wine with deep, concentrated flavors of blueberry violet. A flavor of violet. What's violet taste like? I'm not sure. Mocha and spice. I can associate a smell to violet, but a taste? Yeah. Matchbook, a state bottle of Petit Verdot. What else does it say? Oh, here's something else. On the label is sort of cool. It's, it's, it wraps around at an odd angle around the bottom. Grown, produced, and bottled by J.L. Gaguri and Zamra. California. Matchbookwines.com. There you go. I believe it's 100% Petit Verdot. I used to have Petit Verdot all the time. I used to be able to find it. That That is actually a reason we picked this up is because I used to have Petit Verdot quite often and hadn't seen it. Uh, the label's pretty cool. It's got a right next to Matchbox name on there. It's got a little flame, and then the label itself up above it looks like it's been looks like it's been burned a little bit there. So it's sort of a sort of a cool label. Maybe that's the reason for the flames above the yeah above the barcode because of matchbook. Okay, so pretty cool. So let me taste it here. I read you the thing. Let me see what what we've got here. Good purple color. Good deep purple color. 
with no reference to the group. Um, nice purple color. Oh, I do like that color. Oh, nice aroma. Fruitier than I thought it would be. Have you tasted it? No. My engineer is in here waiting for me to taste it so she can run away with the bottle. Hmm, that's very nice. I'm getting some deep purple violet aromas. Not not really. <laughs> I said that just, you know, I'm not getting a bunch of violet. Blueberry, it says here, and I'm getting blueberry. Definitely some blueberry. I'm not getting too much mocha. But some spiciness, a little bit of blueberry and spiciness. And since, you know, it's mentioned, I suppose I can detect some violet in there. But it's just, you know, power of suggestion, I think, on that one. Oh, that's good. I remember why I miss Petit Rideau so much. That's very good. It's got it's got a nice balance of tannins and fruitiness, not real high on acid. Very well balanced on the acid. For those of you into the legs, it's got some pretty decent legs on it that slow, rather thick moving legs. Uh okay. Here she's pouring me some so I can enjoy it during the show and then she's gonna run away with the bottle. Uh um, so, let me do another sip here. <laughs> Kitty come running into my my room here, my studio, and she took him out because she would jump up on the computer and start walking over the keyboard and no telling what that'll do. Very nice, Petit Verdot, matchbook, Petit Verdot. Uh, if you are, uh, I mean, I, we've never talked about Petit Verdot, I don't believe, in all the years we've been on. Let me see if I can't find my wine varieties. Now, here it is. And look up Petit Verdot for us and tell you about it because that's something that. I haven't, well, where are we, Petite, Petite Verdot, there we go. It says, Petite Verdot is a red wine grape whose small, thick skin berries are valued for their depth of color. Yeah, and this has got very good color on this one, it really does, it's very dark, uh, good, like I say, a deep purple. Uh, color and it's uh, definitely I always look at a wine from the top of the glass at, toward my fingers and a lot of wines you can actually see your fingers and different things this one is this dark rich dark color that the deep purple doesn't you can't see through it at all uh, it says traditionally this variety played a small role in the classic blends of Bordeaux However, varietal Petit Bordeaux has now appeared in many regions of Southern Europe, the Americas, and Australia. It's been around for a long time. I remember Petit Bordeaux many years ago. 
the wine tends to have a dense violet black appearance. Yeah, that's what I just said. It's a good violet color. Uh, they also have high tannin levels, and the small berries create a high ratio of skin to seeds, so it, that brings up the tannin. This is well balanced, though. My book here did a good job of balancing this out. The 1960s marked the beginning of a new chapter in Petit Bordeaux's history, though. In Bordeaux, the variety's traditional home, many Petit Bordeaux wines or vines were uprooted and replaced with more reliable, more fashionable varieties. Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, and stuff like that. The variety's declining popularity was not helped by the fact that it poses further problems in the vineyard beyond difficulties with ripening. Uh, the vines have relatively weak shoots and canes, meaning that they require careful handling and easily broken or, or snapped off. And also, the early budding makes them susceptible to a wet or frosty spring. And they are also late ripening, which, again, puts them susceptible to uh, cold early frost uh, in, in the fall. The thick skin berries make a variety of, uh, make the variety particularly resistant though to rot and disease, which is a good thing. 1980 saw something of a renaissance for it uh, in regions like California and Australia. They started experimenting with the variety in new environments and is now being grown in Italy, Spain, Portugal, Chile, and Argentina. This is the regions in which it has enjoyed most success all have warm, dry climate in common. And uh, synonyms is, includes Verdot, V-E-R-D-O-T, and Petit Verdot, V-E-R-D-A-U. So, Italy, 23% of the entire crop and the world is growing in Italy, U.S. 21%, Spain 16%, Argentina 8%, France 7%, Portugal 6%, Australia 6 and other places around the world 13%. I've always liked Petit Bordeaux, and this is why, because this is really, really good. And they can be expensive and they can be cheap. Uh, this one, I think, was... Seventeen, eighteen dollars, something like that. I, I can't remember exactly. I know it was just shy of twenty dollars for this bottle. I think it was like eighteen something. But you can get them uh, anywhere from twelve dollars on up to a hundred or more. I mean, it's, it's here on the list. They're showing Petit de Rose for one hundred ninety-four dollars. <coughs> Excuse me. And that's out of Napa too. Uh, uh, Napa Petit Bordeaux. Here's another one at 109 out of Sicily. <coughs> Excuse me again. Oh, it's allergies and sinus. It's just a combination of everything there, and it's just driving me insane. It's allergies, and then the sinus on top of it. So, uh, but uh, let's see. Popularity is really, really down on some of these here on the list. Let's see, let's see if we can list this from the most popular. Uh, no, this is listed from the most popular. Uh, 
Most expensive, $132. Going down from there. And the cheapest Petit Bordeaux, there's $7. Uh, $8. $8 Mendoza. Valencia's $8. Uh, $8, $10. So, Petit Bordeaux, if you've never had it, it uh, if you like a red wine, a good dark purple red wine with some nice characteristics, nice flavors, grab yourself a Petit Bordeaux because it it's uh, always been one that I've enjoyed and always been one that has worked well for uh, for taste. And if you're going to ha- pair it up with something, uh, a good braised beef is excellent with it. Um, this suggests lentil soup with smoked ham hock. Hmm, I can see that. Uh, or a, a well, a little corned beef, possibly. This would go well with that. Wow, we should have, we're going to have corned beef tomorrow on this. Go well with that. So, uh, Petit Verdot. All right, I sang the praises of Petit Verdot long enough here. Let me go back to what I was talking about. Here we go. And what did I do? Lose that completely? Hmm. Uh, So, Lawsuits, though, uh, they are all over the place, constantly popping up, and they've been, some have been torn out of court, others have been, have changed the names and all that, and it's just, it's an ongoing thing, you just got to be careful when you start. A winery or labels or anything because people think that something close to what they have could cause a problem. And the thing is, if you are going to start a winery or if you're in a winery and you're going to do a label or something, be sure to get the thing registered. Be sure to go through your state and get the steps, proper steps, and get that thing recorded and all that because uh, that, that gives you a time stamp. And that's really what's stop any further problems with, um, you know, Florida State Finery and the, and the names there. So, a uh, the proper restoration. Okay. Let me see what else I've got here. Uh, okay. Mm, oh, here we go. Napa Wines. Napa's outrageous on their cost. We all know that. It's it's you know you get yourself uh, a decent wine and it's going to run you into some money. Uh, the twenty six annual Napa Valley Vinters Premier Napa Valley Wine Auction that was just held in, well held in February a couple years ago. Uh, the wines there sold for an average of $234. Yeah, $234 average. 
So you can imagine what some of those went for. Um, they, you can discover Napa wines without paying that much, though, without going over $100 and find yourself some great. And so it is. it takes a little searching, takes a little looking. And but once you do uh, find them, they're and, and don't just get it because it says Napa and it's down there. If you get yourself a, a, a reputable winery and one that has had great reviews and stuff like that, and they're getting scores up in uh, you know uh, in the nineties, uh, upper eighties, then. You can find yourself some great buys and great prices and great wines. Uh, some to look for, Grounded Wine Company, their California Cabernet Sauvignon 2020. You pick that up for $15. Um, clean, well-balanced showcase what California and Napa can really produce at a good price point. Uh, Mill Keeper Napa Valley Chardonnay. Uh, get that for $28, and again, another good example of a fruit-forward, slightly oaked, vanilla-y Chardonnay. Mathiasen Linda Vista Vineyard Chardonnay, 2020, for $34. A uh, Post and Bean by Farnine Napa Chardonnay, $36. And then uh, Robert Sinsky Vineyard, Los Caneros. Pinot Noir for uh, $50. So these are good wines, and they have uh, great reviews and good characteristics, and it shows you what Napa is all about, and they're all under the $50 mark. Yes, I know. You can find yourself some wines that says Napa for you know, $10, $11, $12, but Let's face it, you're getting a $10, $11, $12 bottle of wine. Uh, if you want to really show the characteristics of Napa, then start looking for some others like I just read you there. All right. Now, let me get out of that. And uh, fine, I just saw something here. Uh, hmm. Arkansas wine consumers are looking for great varieties. They're saying that's one of the most important factors in picking out their wine is the variety of grapes, which I think most people are. I don't think it's just Arkansas. People are finding wine grapes that they particularly enjoy more than others. My sister-in-law and brother-in-law were in town a couple of weeks ago, and uh, they're wine consumers, and they always look, they enjoy a Chianti. They go out to eat in Italian restaurants, and they enjoy a Chianti, an Italian Chianti. They also like some nice lighter reds, Pinot Noirs and stuff, uh, Merlots, but they look for the names of the grapes. They don't just look for people's a winery name, they look for names, which gives them the opportunity to try the wineries too. And I think that's one of the good things about looking for wineries that ha that offer a uh, 
different types of grapes and you're, you're looking for something, you're finding something that's different and you're not stuck just with uh, looking for a certain winery all the time. I, I, I like it when people start looking for other types of uh, or certain grapes with other wineries and all that. I uh, know I'm rattling for a moment here, but I, 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 I'm just having. Okay, here we go. This is this is what I'm looking for. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, wine label color is driving sales and communicates brand. You're going to start seeing wine bottles in different colors, uh, champagne bottles in different colors and all that because they're finding that it catches people's eye. You've had labels that catch people's eye, but the, the champagne, there's uh, some champagne companies out there that are using utilizing some color schemes from uh, for their bottles, which is showing it. Prosecco is one of them that's really jumping out a lot, too. Uh, Prosecco brands from Italy are showing colors on their bottles, which labels generate interest. So do colors in bottles generate interest. Mexican wine is on the rise. We've talked about Wines from all sorts of countries around the world. But we haven't mentioned too much about Mexican wine. It's because we don't think about Mexico having wine, really. Uh, I don't, anyway. We're talking about how it's getting hot and making wines move further north. So based on that simple factor, is like, okay, why would we even consider... Mexican wines. If you want something from Mexico, tequila. But Mexico is doing some wines. They, uh, Baja, California uh, Trail, the southwest and, and the west coast are experiencing uh, some nice Mexican wines. Uh, it's uh, Cities close to the border like uh, Santa Fe and San Jose or San Diego have seen Mexican wines enter the market over the last few years, and they're really, really quite good and interesting. And new restaurants have lured people in with them and and added to the menu. Now, okay, you can say, look at all the immigrants we got coming across the border. Of course, it's going to appeal to people. But that's, it's not just that. You're finding Mexican wines in New York City and other states along the East Coast and uh, across the, the Southern Belt. And it's amazing people. There's some award-winning wines in Mexico that are becoming pretty predominant. Uh, the region that you find it is the uh, uh, Casa Madera. Uh, Casa, I think, is house, House of Madera. This is located in Santa Maria de la Paras, uh, was the, uh, the first winery established in the New World in 1500s, and it is still functioning today. 
So, uh, you know, we talk about California and the wines there, but this, and you go down here to the House of Madeira, and you got the first winery that's ever established in the New World. Uh, although, well, I don't know if you've heard, but King Philip II of Spain prohibited the production of wine in Mexico because he feared it would compete too much with Spanish wine. And so for two centuries, grapes were mostly used for brandy protection in Mexico and not for wine. Then around 1900 came phylloxera. Ooh. And that destroyed a lot of the grapevines. Uh, some of the wineries survived in Mexico. Uh, like, well, here's one. L-A-Quita-Cita, C-E-T-T-O. I, I have never studied Spanish. I don't know Spanish, so I am probably destroying these. And here's another one, Santa Tomas. T-O-M-A-S, Santo Tomas, uh, continued production, and uh, throughout the phylloxera replanting everything, their grapevines survived, but it wasn't until the 1970s and 80s when new crops, uh, when a new crop of energetic winemakers started to get the attention of people around the world. Uh, it just sort of muddled along, like happens with a lot of different things. It just sort of, nobody paid much attention to it until people said, hey, we have a possibility here. Now, the Baja Peninsula, which is south of California, south of San Diego, south of Tijuana, is responsible for 90% of the country's production. So that's where it grows, over in the Baja Peninsula. There are hundreds of wineries and restaurants in that area that show off the Mexican wines. Hundreds of wineries. Oh, my gosh, I never realized. Uh, other notable winemaking regions are in the north-central states of uh, Coahuila, uh, Durango, and Ch uh, Chihuahua, which is south of Texas and New Mexico along that strip there. Uh, and then uh, some states in the center of Mexico, and I will destroy these names, so I'm not even going to try. Let me give it a uh, Zacatecas, Calantes, uh, and Cortera. So there are different areas that uh, do grow grapes and that are doing it, but 90% uh, of the country's production comes from the Baja Peninsula. Grapes that they grow there? Includes Syrah, Merlot, Cabernet Franc, Nobilio, and Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay, Vonnet. Uh, uh, and a lot of these are made for blending. They're not all just, you know, varietals. They do a lot of blending. So a lot of wineries in Mexico, It's uh, people are becoming more and more interested in what Mexico has to offer for wines. I honestly can't remember seeing wines, uh, a wine section in wine stores or wine shops that say Mexico wine. Not, honestly, I haven't looked for them because I've never considered, but I don't remember even seeing it. You walk into a wine shop, Total Wines, I think, is nationwide, or 
uh, I don't know what others might be nationwide, but even your local ones, and they usually have them laid out in sections in different areas for different wines. And maybe it's under New World Wines. I, it, it would be New World Wines, so that is a possibility. But I don't remember ever running across Mexican wines. I'll have to make a special trip and search for that. I sounds interesting. So uh, some of the East Coast shops are starting to carry more Mexican wines. Um, the Food and Wine magazine, which has been around for a long time, said back in 2017 they had an interview with uh, a noted wine critic, uh, a Janice, uh, Jancis Robinson, who said that Mexican wine will be much better known in 10 years. That was in 2017. So we are over halfway to that point. And I feel like I'm on the cutting edge here telling you about it. But there are shops all over that are starting to bring them in and starting to use them. So if you've had Mexican wine, email me. And if you haven't and you try one, email me. Let me know what you think. Uh, There's some worth trying, though. I'll give you a little short list here. Uh, A Pavel Real... Valet de Guadalupe Red uh, is 2018 vintage, $12. It is a blend of Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Tempranillo, and Grenache. Hmm, interesting. Uh, El Acito Valet de Guadalupe Chenin Blanc, uh, 2020, this is $14. Bodegas de Santo Tomas. Valet de Guadalupe Mission Tinto, so, uh, Mission Tinto uh, grape, uh, which is a blend of Mission Carignan and Tempranillo. Huh. Here's a Chardonnay. Nope, someone's calling in. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't know who that could be. Everybody knows that I do a show on. Thursday, so it's probably nobody that we know. Uh, here's a uh, blend of Cabernet Sauvignon and Ugni Blanc that is a champagne. This is a Finca Sala Vive Vivante Sparking Brut Rosé, $16. Uh, a Zanic. Uh, Cristel Valle de Guadalupe Sauvignon Blanc, 2019, for $20. Uh, here's a Cabernet Sauvignon for $24. Uh, a uh, Guadalupe Red for 26 Cabernet Sauvignon, Syrahs, and Tempranillo. A Rosé for $31, 2019 vintage. Uh, Nebulo. Uh, 2018 vintage, $37. Uh, Grand Reserva, this is a blend of Merlot and Cabernet. Unico, U-N-I-C-O is on the label. Unico, $75. And last one, Monte Zanic Grand Ricardo Valet de Guadalupe, 2019, for $80. 
uh, it's uh, let's see. It doesn't say the grapes on this one. All the rest of them they do except for this one. So this is a blend. Uh, the review here says it is phenomenal. Elegance is an understatement when it comes to this wine. So you can get Mexican wines all over everywhere. I'm going to have to pursue Mexican wines. I'm going to have to look for it and try some Mexican wines. It's a area I have never considered. And I repeat again, if you've had Mexican wines or if you happen to pick up some now and taste it, email me with a review. And I would love to hear what you have to say about Mexican wines. And if you had a before, or if you were, maybe that might be something I can see if I can't get a hold of a winery down there in Mexico. As long as they speak English, because I do not speak Spanish. Um, maybe we can get somebody on telling us about Mexico and the growing and all that stuff there. Hmm. Let me leave myself a note on that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Even as we speak, I will try to get myself a note written here so we can pursue Mexican wine. Okay. Mexican wines. Okay. There we go. Huh. That's interesting. I'm, I could say I've never been familiar with Mexican wine before. Okay, let's see what else. Uh, quality in Chinese wines are seeing a significant boost in sales of Chinese wine. Uh, Winter Olympics was held in South Korea, and because of it, wine sales there jumped up 38%. Now, there's an area you don't consider Olympics affecting is wine sales, but because of the wine, or the Olympics being held in Korea, uh, South Korea, wine sales did jump up 38%, which is an interesting correlation there between the two, uh, I think. Uh, seems odd to me that the Olympics would affect the sell wine, but obviously it did. Um, let's see, what do we got here? Uh, oh, yeah. European Parliament been playing around with resolutions and stuff. They're still doing it. They started this back in February. They started to play with different things, different resolutions and stuff. And they're still trying to fine-tune it and all that. Most of these people that are in the parliament for the European Union are not wine people. They are, and they therefore try to run the European Union as a business and not with any consideration of what the businesses are that they're putting out these rules and regulations and how it can affect them. That is one of the reasons why England, or not England, well, yeah, England, uh, uh, 
Britain got out of the European Union because it was affecting them in some of the rules and regulations that were coming down and all that. And they said, we don't want to mess with this stuff anymore. And so they decided to opt out. And so it's uh, continuing on with some of the rules that they're making that could affect wineries and grape growing and all sorts of different things. It, it's been ongoing. I'm, let me see if I can find a follow-up here this next week and see, because this, this one here I have a note on is, is a month old. And so uh, they might have done something since then. And if they have, then uh, it could stop or start problems who knows we'll find out but i will make a note and see if i can find anything uh ooh, let's see what else we got on this one uh alberino grape is starting to come back i say come back it's was growing uh for a while in california now the Wood family in Livermore uh, has entered the San Francisco Chronicle competition and uh, one of 41 entries in the Alvarino grape category. And it is really, really showing uh, the uh, qualities that Alvarino can uh how it can be grown in California and not just in, well, actually the grape is uh, Iberian, uh, originally an Iberian grape, and California is growing some great ones now. So, okay, let me find something else here that I wanted to talk about. Uh, France has has added, excuse me, France has added another appellation. Uh, Their appellations are like our uh, ABAs. I had a blank there. Like our AVAs. And they've added another appellation. Uh, So uh, hard to keep up with them. Uh, Yes, I know. Tempranillo is starting to really take off in southern Oregon now. Uh, the with the little help from climate change has given it just almost a perfect climate in uh, southern Oregon from the Tempranillo grape. Uh, it's from the Rojo uh, region and it's growing well in southern Oregon. Uh, Melbeck also is another one that is doing well in uh, southern Oregon throughout Oregon. So the uh, microclimates is really helping uh, the climate change is doing it. I mean, we hear a lot of bad about the climate change in the wine industry, but not all of it's bad. Things like certain grapes are starting to be able to take hold throughout different parts of, well, not just Oregon and stuff, like different parts of the world. Certain grapes are being able to take hold because the climate's switched enough that they can be 
growing now in those areas where they couldn't before and grow well in those areas. So uh, Tempranillo is one of those in southern Oregon that is catching on and really uh, there's about a dozen producers who are planting Tempranillo grapes now and uh, coming out with single variety wines with the Tempranillo uh, California growing along with you know like Cabernet Sauvignon and Grenache where they're doing blends but they're also doing some a single varietal wines with the Tempranillo so uh, that's something let's see what's this say here uh, 265 acres are planted to Tempranillo uh, in southern Oregon compared to a total of 9,400 acres total that exists in that area of grapevines. 265 are planted to Tempranillo. Not a big percentage, but a big jump over what it has been uh, over the last few years. So we're going to start seeing some Oregon Tempranillo, which is cool. Tempranillo is a good grape. You all have had it. Because if you're wine drinkers, you've had Tempranillo by itself, but it's blends and stuff. So it is there. Oh, let's see. 2022 harvest is going on. Excuse me. Actually, it should be over now, mostly in New Zealand. And they are having problems finding helpers and work. Between the COVID and labor shortages, it's not just United States labor shortage thing. It's worldwide labor shortages. And New Zealand is has been scrambling to get people to uh, harvest you know, anything down there. And it's something that the repercussions from COVID, although New Zealand has been pretty, what, dodged the major bullet from COVID, they've still had their share of cases and stuff. And because of it, it's created labor shortages and uh, serious concerns throughout the, the country of New Zealand. So, let's see. I, let me see if I can find that one other thing that I was looking for. And if I can't, then we will end the show. Uh, oh, crap. Wrong button. Uh, nope, it's not here, not here, uh, not here. Oh, okay, well, <clears throat> I, excuse me. Uh, well, that's it. Uh, two weeks, we have a guest, uh, and I've got other other guests that I'm trying to line up, uh, although we Mike and I are working on logistics of it. It looks like we're going to have some guests from England, and we're going to be pre-recording those for this time slot because that's the only way that we can actually get them and us in a uh, convenient time instead of having them in the middle of the night, uh, which would be in the middle of the night for them if we aired them on a 7 o'clock time slot, 7 o'clock in the evening, and if we aired them on a time that would be convenient for them, it would put us in an awkward time. So we are working on doing a pre-recorded show 
where it's convenient for everybody. And we'll be playing the shows in this time slot. I guess on the pre-recorded show, we can post it up on our Facebook page and let mm-hmm. people know. And they can listen to us live if they want and have any questions for our British wineries. Uh, we can do it that way. So, uh, or we could we could even have it on Blog Talk Radio. It's uh, no, it, it would just be you know like a morning show or something. Um, yeah, you know, four o'clock yeah. a.m. Welcome to all. <laughs> Welcome to all about wine, uh, a special edition. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll let you know if we uh, you know as we set the time up because it will be will be a weekend recording. It will yeah. be a weekend broadcast and. And then we'll re- replay it on this time slot. But we are still working that out, which should be pretty soon because we're we've had wineries agree, and the the girl that our lady that is coordinating this for us says that she's talked to other wineries mm-hmm. and they pretty much agree. So we're going to go forward with this. And then I had let's see, I've got some others here that. Uh, we're looking at too, and uh, so I'm, we got uh, climate change. Uh, a, a climatologist, I guess he is. Uh, we're looking at trying to get him on the show, and all sorts of different people are contacting us. So if you listen to the show and you're part of the wine industry, get in touch with us. We'd love to have guests on. You don't have to be a winery owner. You don't have to be something like a vineyard uh, owner or something. Anything that's winery associated uh, or wine associated will be happy. I mean, you look at our list of guests over the last 13 years, and we've been on the fringe of winery and wine topics uh, on a few of the shows, but they all tie in. So, We'll be happy to hear from you, and uh, you know we can get you on the show. You can always email us at our email address, uh, allaboutwine101 at gmail.com, and uh, I'll start corresponding with you, and we'll get you booked. Or anybody. What we're getting a lot, too, is not just the people we're talking to. We're getting people who handle their press. We're getting people who are representatives of like a group of wineries and different things like this. Any of that, any of that will work. So get in touch. Yeah, do that. Uh, email Ron directly. It's the, the email address is allaboutwine101 at gmail.com. And you can rewind this and listen to that again to get the address. Um, and again, and again. I do have a couple of uh, a couple of announcements real quick. Uh, let me get my drums. Boom. Boom. There you go. Okay. There we go. The uh, <laughs> longer than I thought it was. It was like 11 it was. seconds. I thought, yeah, right. I yeah. Yeah. Um, we are officially now, I just got the confirmation email a, a few minutes ago. We are officially on Amazon uh, Music. So if you are oh. listening to podcasts using Amazon, we are on there, and uh, I will post uh, the link because it's, it's like, I don't know, 300 and something characters long, but I'll post a link to the uh, show page on Amazon and uh, on our social media as soon as I, as soon as I can quote that. Also, um, two or three weeks ago, we were talking about the Grand Tour from Wine Spectator, right. 
and how it wasn't advertised in their magazine. And apparently they heard it. I'm going to go with that. Uh, they heard yes. us. And, uh, well, they uh, monitor just, us. Yeah. Uh, cutting edge. You know. Yeah. They, they, yeah. They, all, all of, most of their articles are from this show. <laughs> yeah, really. They they say, oh, we need wines. They'll be coming up with Mexican wines before long here in the next, you know. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the May thirty first uh, edition <laughs> of the of Wine Spectator, page twenty two and twenty three, both pages are on oh. Wine Spectator's uh, tour uh, in uh, three cities, three spectacular tastings, and all the information is in there and and all the dates and everything. So um, they did take they did use uh, two full pages to advertise the event now thanks to us mentioning it on here. At least that's yeah. that's what I'm telling people. So that's, um, that's, that's yeah, that's true. Yeah, they're they're you know, <laughs> three cities, three spectacular tastings. And they're in Florida this yeah. year. I think this is the isn't this yep. the first time they've been in Florida? I thought it you know, I was thinking it was Las Vegas, Washington and then California somewhere. But yeah. It even says their new venue. new venue, yeah, yeah, and also Las Vegas new mm-hmm. venues. Uh, I thought they'd had yeah. it in Las Vegas before. Uh, so probably they might have just changed the resorts or something, different uh, hotel yeah. or you know setting, but uh yeah, very cool. uh, So yeah, oh all right. So there's a yeah. grand tour. Yeah. You need to get your tickets soon because I'll tell you what, they amazingly sell out on that really quite often. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's gone and you can't. Uh, while we're talking about the wine spectator, they also, if you're into whiskey, they have a whiskey fest uh, that's mm-hmm. going to be uh, in Chicago on May 13th and in New York on November 3rd, Las Vegas, December 2nd, uh, San Francisco, October 28th, uh, and then there's a big event in Hollywood, California, yet another Hollywood, California, Big Smoke Meets Whiskey Fest, and this is where the cigars are celebrated and whiskey and everything, so that's coming up. That's going to be May 28th for that, so that's you know less than two months away now. Uh, mm-hmm. So, and then save the save the date, uh, and then here's uh, the New York Wine Experience dot com, which is October twentieth to twenty second, and that will be in New York City. That's always uh, a big event, and again reservations for the big main tasting. That's the one where they. Uh, you sit at a table with a whole bunch of glasses in front of you, and you do a great big tasting and all that. That really sells out fast. So we're giving you a heads up of stuff coming up. You know, you might think a little bit too far in the future, but not really because these events really are big sellers. It's amazing how fast they do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, very good. And uh, we'll keep you posted on those as well in the future when the – uh, and the show's coming up, so it's not yeah. just a one-time thing. Like what? Um, anyway, we will uh, go ahead and close the show out. It's uh, eight twelve p.m. Eastern time on Thursday, wow. the thirty-first of March, and we will be back April seventh. Uh, that's next Thursday at seven p.m. Eastern time, live, or you can listen to us on one of the other channels and 
and uh, go from there. Um, all of our other we, different platforms now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Thank you all for uh, tuning in. And as always, uh, have a have a great weekend coming up and a great week ahead. And uh, we'll talk to you next uh, next week. Thank you. Thanks for listening and be safe. Thank you. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine. Your host, Ron. For show information, link to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook. Or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwine.com. Archive shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. All about wine. That's right. <laughs> oh, we need a, we need a new opening, so we so we quit doing that. You know. Life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. People are going. Would they shut up? You know? Yeah. Right. We're still on. Five people. Go to the green people uh, room here.